0: Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, talking about the early church this morning. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. The Bible says, beginning in verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place. I want to make sure you catch that. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need, They worship together, they worship together at the temple each day, each day they worship together, hallelujah. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people and each day the Lord added to their fellowship all those who were being saved they met together in one place, they worshipped together, they worshipped together let's pray, Father thank you so much for what you are doing in the life of your church, thank you for this new season uh, that you have given us like you've given John Hillman a new season, I believe you're giving Crosspoint a new season lord it's not unending lord you're coming soon there is a time lord when uh when our time here on earth will be done and over but lord until then you have called us to this church life you have called us to function as a body you have called us to make a mark for jesus you have called us to meet together you have called us to worship together to live together in you. And so Lord, help us in that endeavor. Help us to honor you in everything we say, in everything we do. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So a couple of weeks ago, we started this series uh, called Church Life. First, we looked at the nature of the church and found out that the the Bible actually calls the church at least four different things and not going to go into it super extensively this morning uh, but the Bible calls the church a fellowship we said the Bible calls the church a family the Bible calls the church a functioning a body the Bible calls the church a flock and we went on to say that these different words give us a, a, a an understanding of the church and it shows us the nature of the church And then last week, we continued church life and gave you the word shine, shine, S-H-I-N-E. We said we want you to use that word shine as kind of like a prompt or a memory tool to help us to better understand. We looked at the nature of the church, but last week, we talked about the purpose of the church. And each letter in that word shine stood for an action that you and I in the church today, 2024, need to take. Uh, and so we, we looked at that uh, collectively, we looked at that personally, and we said that the letter S stood for seeking the lost and sharing Jesus as our primary purpose in this church life. Listen, we're about seeking out the lost, amen? This is a hospital for the hurting. The church is a place where we can welcome people in and the Holy Spirit meets with them and lives are transformed, but it doesn't happen unless we seek It doesn't happen unless we draw them in. And part of that S was also sharing Jesus as our primary purpose. We should be telling our story. We should be excited about Jesus. We should be telling people uh, what Jesus has done for us because if he did it for us, he can do it for them. That's the letter S, seek and share. The letter H stood for helping others in practical ways. Listen, when we do our outreaches, we are helping. When we partner with other churches, we are helping. Uh, Within our body, when people come in and they're broke and they're uh, just things going on in their lives, we want to be the hand of God extended to them to be able to help them. And so that is the letter H. I stood for include. Say include include we said we want to make sure that everyone feels welcome and, and we said this one was a little bit controversial right because with within the word include there's inclusion you hear the word inclusion and if you've heard it in any way politically it makes you cringe a little bit uh, with the woke environment of all accepting hey we're just gonna everything's okay you can just there's a balance there obviously we want to welcome. Obviously, we want people with issues to come because I don't know about you, I've got issues and whether you realize it or not, you've got issues. We've all got issues. Amen. And yet God includes us in the calling of open arms to say, come in, come into the house of healing, come into the church. Come in, you've got baggage, come in. This is where you belong. You're hurting, you' you're participating in this or in that and and you know that it's wrong, but you just you're whatever you feel in, in in bondage, come in. We want you in. That inclusion says, you know what? We know what the Bible says about sin. We know what the Bible says about particular sins, but we also know that there's freedom in Jesus, and that freedom doesn't happen unless we invite them in. Amen. That's include. And then uh, we said that the letter N stands for nurture, nurturing others to grow in their faith. We do that by preaching, by teaching, by praying, by doing all of the things that we do as a church to make sure that people are growing. Healthy things grow. Amen. And so we want to make sure that people are growing and being nurtured to do so. The letter E, we said, stood for exalting the Lord together. Anybody here love to exalt the Lord, love to worship? Amen. I hope you do, uh, because we're going to be doing it forever and ever and ever and ever in heaven. Amen. And so if you don't like worship, you're going to have some issues. You're going to have some issues. It's going to be like that broken record or like that stuck thing that's like zip, 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 and you're going to miss out. But listen, don't miss out. Worship is great. It is awesome to be able to exalt the Lord together. And so in this church life, we said that you and I, the church, we shine the light of Christ before all men. We shine Jesus, amen, So that why? Why do we shine? What is the purpose of our existence? So that they may see our good works and glorify the Father in heaven. Amen. As they see our good works, as they see what Jesus has done for us, maybe they'll desire what we have. Maybe they'll know that, you know what, I know. I knew that guy. I knew that lady when they weren't serving Jesus. I know how messed up they used to be, and something's different now. Something's different. I think it might have something to do, they might call it religion. They might call it church. They might call it this or that, but at the end of the day, it's Jesus, amen? When we invite Jesus in, he shines. He shines through your life. He shines through my life. And this week, listen, we're gonna wrap, we're gonna get into it this morning. I keep going back and forth on whether I'm gonna wrap it up or not. I've got written down that this is a wrap up, but maybe not. We're gonna we're gonna go with the Lord on this. And so, I want to ask one very basic question. I kind of. Uh, uh, just pared it down to one basic question that some people ask who are not here this morning or some people who are here don't quite know the purpose of this. And so the the question is, why go to church? Why go to church? And so every single week, over 100 million people go to church somewhere in America. And so that's just talking about America isolated. But that means that more people will will be in church this weekend than will go to all of the sporting events in the United States combined. That seems like that's a lot, right? That's a lot. 100 million people. And sadly, many of those people don't actually know why they go to church. Now, some of them go out of tradition. There are a lot of traditional nominal type churches that some of you would say, I know about that church. They are a little confused in their theology. They think that it's just whatever, you know, and and so there's confusion out there. It, it, It might be tradition. Others go out of guilt, right? Uh, I don't know, some of you may be here this morning because somebody guilted you and said, if you're, if you're a good husband, you'd come to church with me. If, if you're gonna be a good father, you'd come to church. So you're here and you're like, somebody guilted you. Maybe your grandmother, maybe your mother, whatever the case may be, you're here maybe this morning because of guilt. Others in America, around the world, go to church because of guilt and some go out of habit. Just plain habit. It's what we've always done. Uh, some people. Have you ever heard someone say, "I kind of, I grew up in the church, and, and so it, it's what I do. It's it's a habit." But with a population in America of over three hundred and thirty million, that tells me that there are a lot of people who do not attend church. I'm not a math whiz, but hundred million and over three hundred and thirty million in America. That comparison tells me that there's a lot of people who don't attend church. Now, they may be involved in other faiths, in other world religions. They might even be involved in some cults or possibly not consider themselves religious at all. But the numbers speak for themselves. I'm convinced now more than ever that America needs Jesus. Anybody say amen to that? And, And more than America, the world needs Jesus. Reality also tells us that people sometimes do things for the wrong reasons. Let me say that again so you catch it. People sometimes do things for the wrong reasons while others are convinced that it doesn't matter what we do as long as we're sincere. And yet doing things for the wrong reasons is just as bad as sincerely doing the wrong things. Try to say that fast a few times. And so whether you go to church for the wrong reason or you don't go to church because you think that the church is full of hypocrites and and so why go there in the first place or or you say you don't need organized religion or because online church is so much more convenient and and it's safer when dealing with people to just watch it on the screen in the comfort of your home, on on the nice couch, in the living room or in your bed or whatever the case may be. We have to remind ourselves that there is a reason to be here. We have to let people know that there's a reason to be here, and that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning. See, wrong reasoning can literally keep you from experiencing the healthy things that God intended for you to experience in the body of Christ by attending the local church. Visited recently with someone at at the hospital and there was a roommate there that, uh, you know, was being blessed by our prayers, being blessed by you never know when you go to the hospital who's listening. And so my friend was in the, uh, on the one side and there was a guy, I didn't know him from, I can't remember, Tim. Tim, I believe is his name. Uh, and so Tim was just kind of there and he said, I'm spiritual or I'm religious, but I don't believe in organized church. And, and uh, I know that, you know, there were several of us there that were pastors and I know that that probably doesn't jive with your theology or whatever, but that's who I am. And we all kind of in agreement said, you know, it's all about Jesus. At the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. And so if you don't have Jesus in your heart, you want to have Jesus in your heart. And he just happened to be there with heart issues. And so we kind of uh, uh, joked around a little bit with that. I said, you've got heart issues in more ways than you can count, man. And we, he laughed. And so we, you know, we didn't offend him or anything, but it was good, a good badgering back and forth. And just uh, uh, by the end of our conversation, he was just like, I, I, I know that Jesus is the answer. And uh, thank you so much, because we, you know what? We were there, so we prayed for him, too. We laid hands on him, too. Anointed him with oil, too. And uh, the doctors came in while we were having prayer meeting uh, in the hospital, and, and they were like, whoa, what's going on here? And, and so they kind of turned around and whatever. But God is doing something to try and draw people to this church life, because Jesus is here, because the Holy Spirit is here. I would say, qualify that by saying, if he's welcome, amen. There are some churches where Holy Spirit isn't welcome, there are some churches that are church and name only. There's not church things going on. It's become a, a club. Or whatever, but we have to remind ourselves why we do what we do. Like, why why do we get out of bed to come to church? Why do we leave the comfort of our homes on a cold Sunday morning to gather with other weird people or people of of different backgrounds, people who don't look like us? And and so we get out of bed and we get here. We go into different sized buildings and locations all over America. Why do some people get up super early to open up church buildings and to prepare lessons and to stand in some? cold doorways. Uh, I praise God for our greeters, uh, for all of them that are out there being cold and doing what they do. Uh, You're our first line of defense, man. But at the same time, you're the face of what God is doing. And so I, I, I praise God for you. But why do why do people do this? Why do uh, we have a, a a worship team that comes in hours before anybody gets here, and and during the week they practice and and they do that in churches all over New Hampshire and all over Rochester? Why church? Why go to church? I I believe that the Bible teaches at least five reasons. Five reasons. We're gonna go through them pretty quickly. Uh, that why we sh- of why we should go to church, and more importantly, being the church. Uh, that it's vital and that it is key for every single believer in Christ, amen? And in fact, I believe that these five things are essential to growing uh, uh, as healthy and fully devoted disciples and followers of Christ. And bear with me, I love refor- referring to us as cross point Church as a church family. That's what we are, amen? We're a church family. And so number one, if you're writing notes, I'll say it like this, you need a church family to help you to center your life around God through worship. Let me say that again. If you're writing notes, you need, you and I need a church family to help you to center your life around God through worship. How many of you love worship? See worship is simply uh, building and centering your life around God. Uh, worship, yes, it, it is what goes on here on a Sunday morning, but how many of you know that worship is more than what goes on here on a Sunday morning? Did you know that you could worship and not have any instruments involved? Did you know that you could have worship and not actually be singing? The worship is, is a lot more than what people have kind of boiled it down to be. The truth is God did not put you on planet earth to live a self-centered life, newsflash. It's not all about me, myself, and I. He, he didn't put you here for your own benefit. On the contrary, he put you here for his benefit. In fact, you exist for God, not, not vice versa. And God wants to be, listen, God wants to be the hub of your heart. He wants to be the access of your existence. He wants to be the core of your being. He wants to be the focus of your attention. And so Jesus wants to be the center of your life. He wants to be the center of your life. And the Bible calls that worship. Hallelujah, Hallelujah! you and I were were created to worship God and anytime God is the center of your life and whatever you're doing, that is worship. Now, how do you know if God is really at the center of your life? It's kind of simple but deep. When, when God is really at the center of your life, you stop worrying about every single things, thing that happens every day in your life. You stop being such a worrier. You stop worrying in such a way that, you know, worry is, is, is naturally a symptom or a warning light that God is not at the center of your life. Let me say that again. Worry is a natural symptom or a warning light. Listen, I've got a car out there that's got a check engine light. Anybody ever have one of those? Okay. And so mine come and go. It's like we play hide and go seek. Here I am. Here I'm not. I'm safe. The vehicle has over 330,000 miles. And so it is what it is. Uh, And so we fix it. It comes back. It is what it is. Worry is a natural symptom. It is the warning light on your life that God is maybe not at the center of this situation. God is not at the center of whatever you're worrying about. And so life, in life, you will either be worshiping or you will be worrying. Very simple, very straightforward. Only two choices. You are either worrying or you are worshiping. See, when when Jesus is not the center of your life, your career becomes the center of your life. Your your family even becomes the center of your life. Your your money becomes the the center of your life. Stuff becomes the center of your life. And when anything except for God takes the center of your life, you've got an idol that is set up and you're gonna be full of anxiety because I'll tell you right now that when Jesus Christ is at the center of your life, you don't have time to worry because God. God's got your back and whatever you're going through, you know what? It may be painful. It may be uncomfortable. It may not be what you want. But when God is on your side and when God is at the center of your life, things are coming together. You're you're on the winning team. You're on the winning side. You're not a loser. You're not a loser. And so every time you start worrying, it's just like a little sign that in that particular moment God is not at the center of your life in that situation it it might be a good time actually if you see that to stop it might be a good time to pray it might be a good time to reset your priorities ask yourself why am I so worried about this why am I letting this engulf my thinking and and it affects your heart your heart is beating out of your chest and and you're fearful and your anxiety is just taking over and you just don't know what to do because Jesus is not at the center of that situation. So the challenge is to put Jesus first. You need a church family to help you center your life around God through worship. In Matthew 22, 37, and 38, Jesus said, you must love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Say love. See, God says that the most important thing that you can do with your life is to know and to love God. Why? Because that's the first purpose of your life, whether you realize it or not. If you feel incomplete, if you feel lost, if you feel, man, all you got to do is center Jesus in your life, begin to worship him, begin to live for him, and you're going to see things add up. You're going to see things come together. It's just the way it works. It's the first purpose of your life, and either you haven't gotten there or you've gotten away from it, and Jesus is calling you back. Unfortunately, people go through life and they never start a relationship with Jesus and they actually miss out on the primary purpose of life. You were, you were made to know God and whenever you put Jesus at the center of your life, it's called worship. That's the best way that we can handle life actually is with worship. So, so some people will say, well, Pastor Freddie, you're a pastor. How, what's the best way to worship? What's the, you know, do I light a candle or an incense? Do, do, do I have to say a certain word or certain chants? Do I have to wear certain robes or clothing? Or, or do, do I have to wear holy socks? Or What What do I have to do to really worship? In the Bible, there's only one requirement for genuine worship. John 4, 23 says, Jesus said, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit. Spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. Listen, this morning in Rochester, New Hampshire, uh, at Cross Point Church, God is looking for some worshipers. God is looking for some people who are going to say, You know what, Jesus, I need you at the center of my relationship. I need you at the center of my family. I need you at the center of this situation. And so I'm going to include you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to call on the name of Jesus. I know I'll be saved. I know I'll be healed. I know I'll be delivered. Some people need deliverance and it's found in Jesus. True worshipers, that phrase in spirit and in truth means that God wants you to worship him authentically and accurately. So don't be a fake and don't make up your own thing authentically means in spirit that means you uh, uh, don't just give good lip service like maybe you say I love you God but you're really not even thinking about him and so it's just words anybody ever tell you they love you and by their actions deny it and so it's just words Instead, that person might be thinking about the baseball game, the new store they need to go shopping at, or the roast that's burning in the oven. You're thinking about all kinds of different things except for God. And so Jesus says, don't be a hypocrite when you worship me. You got to do it from your heart. It's got to be in spirit. It must be authentic, genuine. It must be in spirit and in truth. In truth means that it's got to be accurate. I had a friend growing up and, uh, He was a good friend, but he would drive me crazy. Anybody got a friend like that? Don't point any fingers this morning. And so uh, Antonio was great, uh, but he had a little bit of issue telling the truth. And so uh, he would always tell these stories, and uh, I was his friend, and I was sitting there shaking my head half the time, not even knowing that my body language was denying what he was—he is making up a story. There he goes lying again. And and one day he walked away, and a group of guys are like, "You always hanging out with this guy, Antonio. You do realize he's a liar?" And I said, "He's got some issues with the truth for sure." Um, you know he's got to encounter it sometime in his life, and uh, and so I pulled my friend aside and did the hard thing. Some of you are, are still living with a liar, and you're not telling him that he's a liar, and you're just like you're good. And guy, go tell me another story. I said, Antonio, you know I love you. I'm your friend, whether you like this or not, whether you hear me or not. Uh, but people are tired of your lies. You know I tolerate them, but I know that you're lying. And so and he was just like. What are you talking about? And we remained friends, but it was a little bit strained, as you might imagine. But sometimes you need that confrontation. Sometimes you need uh, to know that, you know what, this person is not going to be a hypocrite with me. And so God is saying, when you worship me, don't be hypocritical, make sure that you're being truthful, that you're being accurate. And so every once in a while, I'll hear people say, I'd like to think of God as this, or I'd like to think of God as that, but who in the world made you an expert? The truth is you might just be making stuff up. And when you make up uh, in your mind an, an idea of who God is, that can actually be an idol. And see, it doesn't really matter what you think God is like or who you think God is. If it's contrary to the word of God, you're believing a lie. See, the Bible tells us what God is like, and that's all the truth you will ever need. The Bible tells us. Some people say, well, I think God is a woman, or I think God is this, or I think God is, stop your foolishness. The word of God tells us who God is. Amen? The very first church in Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47, it says, they worshiped together at the temple each day. And so day after day, they worshiped God together. Imagine that. But it goes on to say, they met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Verse 47, all the while praising God. They did life together. They worshiped together. They met together. There was none of this nonsense of I can just be the church on my own. I can do my own thing. I don't have to gather with the people. You are missing out. You are self-deceived, Is that if that's what you're thinking church is about bible gives us gives us a very a clear blueprint and if you're not some people are like they're proud of how different they are i'm not gonna go to that organized place of a bunch of hypocrites why you might join us and be one of us uh, you, you're gonna bring perfection to us well like what's the deal what's your fear we're here we're people in need of jesus and he meets us and i love that amen Right from the beginning, the church, in the church we see a a great example of church church life that is centered around worship. They were centered around worship collectively. It says in the temple, they were centered around worship in the small way, they met in homes. And so some people will say, well, which is the right way? It's both, it's both, amen? Amen. Again, we need a church family to help us to center our lives around God through worship. Number two, you need, I need a church family to help you to connect with other believers through fellowship. And the introvert said, I don't know about that. What'd you say, Pastor Freddie? You need a church family to help you to connect with other believers through fellowship because if you don't allow the church to help you in this area, you will remain a hermit. You will remain on your own. You will remain isolated and insulated. And let me tell you what, that is a cold, hard, lonely place to be. But I like being alone, Pastor Freddie. I don't know. You let the troubles come your way one after the other, and I think you might change your story. When no one is there to comfort you, when no one is there to hear you complain, when no one is there to encourage you, you need a church family to help you to connect with other believers through fellowship. First, God wants you to connect through, uh, with Him through worship. Then He wants you to connect with other people through fellowship. And the key, listen, the key to fellowship is learning to love all kinds of people who are nothing, sometimes nothing like you. That's easy, right? It's getting quiet. Basically, God loves us and we imitate him or reflect him by loving others. First Peter 1.3 tells us that God has given us the privilege of being born again. How many of you consider it a privilege to be born again? God has given us the privilege of being born again why so that we are now members of God's very own family if Jesus is in your heart this morning you are a member of God's family that is a beautiful thing and so love and fellowship they go hand in hand unfortunately a lot of people live self-centered lives They live for themselves, they live for their own comfort, but listen, God didn't put us on earth to live isolated, insulated lives. He put us on earth to practice loving him and loving others in the family of God because like I said at the beginning, we're gonna be doing it forever and ever and ever and if you're not good at it, you need practice. We need practice. This is where we do it. In fact, church life and fellowship are so important that in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, it says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect, say neglect, And let us not neglect our meeting together. There's that word again, together. Let us not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Listen, even way back then, people stayed home. Even way back then, people were trying, you know, maybe this is a fad. This Jesus thing, you know, he, he left us and, uh, you know, he's not here. And so maybe we can just go back to the way life was before. Let us encourage one another. Amen. Jesus is coming soon. We should be meeting together even more now, not less. Again, Paul was telling the early church to encourage one another not to neglect the meeting together, which tells me that some were already in that place doing the things that we see today, neglecting church life, thinking that it wasn't going to harm them. Remember, the devil loves it when your fellowship breaks down and you choose to stay home or make excuses not to gather. Let me say that again. The devil loves it. He loves it when your fellowship breaks down and you choose to stay home or make excuses not to gather. Listen, some people are not here this morning for, for whatever reason, but some people haven't been here in a while. Some people have no maybe no intention of coming back and it's not that they went somewhere else. It's that they got used to not attending. It's that they got used to not being in the house of God. It's that they got used to not being in the presence of God and so the world has attracted them. The cares of this world have gripped them. Them, and they have given in to that. The devil loves it when we cause uh, when we cause offense, or when we choose to be offended by the acts of others. He wants us to skip church. He wants us to break relationships. He wants us to stay away. And so, in Hebrews, the apostle is saying, "Some of you, you, you need to get creative." What the ladies did here yesterday—that's creativity to bring them in. Amen. A little painting. We need to think of ways to, to be and be creative. Think of ways to motivate and encourage one another to acts of love and good works, including fellowship. This Friday, you have an opportunity. Some of you haven't even bought your chili tickets, but your neighbor, if you did you know this statistic? 90% of people, I believe, is the number, would come to church, come to a church if they were invited. And that's not even a church service. And some of us won't even do that. We won't even invite our neighbor. We won't even get an extra ticket. But God wants to use you. God wants to get them here so that maybe some seeds can be planted. So that maybe they'll get around church people and say they're not too weird. I I think I might be able to come and check out this church on a Sunday. Acts chapter 2 tells us exactly how God wants us to connect with each other in fellowship uh, by devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, by sharing meals. How many of you like to eat? Uh, But that's including of the Lord's Supper. We want to be able to remember the Lord and his sacrifice uh, by prayer. When they fellowship, when they connected, they did those things by meeting together regularly in one place and sharing everything we have with each other and with those in need, all the while praising God. That's what the church was doing. That's what church should look like. It's all right there. And so, to be healthy and balanced as a follower of Christ, you need worship. You need fellowship in large gatherings and small groups. And, and so, you need both in this Christian life. Romans 12 5 says, So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body. Amen. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Some people they they get out of fellowship or they break fellowship. I don't care about them. I don't I, I don't like them. I don't listen. You are your brother's keeper. We are we be, in Christ. We belong to each other. That's what fellowship is all about. We need each other, whether we want to admit it or not. And so we need a church family to help us to center our lives around God through worship. We need a church family to help us connect with other believers through fellowship. And then you and I, we need a church family to help you to cultivate spiritual maturity through discipleship. Listen, when we talk about discipleship in the Bible, you can very easily... Use the phrase, grow up in its place. How many of you have ever told someone to grow up? Discipleship is really the process of growing up into spiritual maturity by becoming a real deal disciple of Christ. See, God doesn't want you to keep being a spiritual baby. Let me say that again. God doesn't want you to keep being a spiritual baby. He wants you, us, to grow up. How? How? By knowing, trusting, and living by his word, by trusting his wisdom, by obeying his commands, by developing his character. Yes, God wants us to grow up. 1 Peter 2 verses 1 through 3 says, so get rid of all evil behavior. What kind of behavior are we to get rid of? All evil be done with all deceit. Be done with hypocrisy. Be done with jealousy. Be done with all unkind speech. How many of you have ever experienced any of those things? Be done with it. Like newborn babies, you must, say must. You must crave spiritual, pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. Now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. How, how, how many of you have tasted that the Lord is good? He's good. And in that, listen, in that, in that process, in that uh, discipleship process, in maturing uh, in the Lord, yes, we begin with spiritual milk, the milk of God's word that begins to, to do something inside of us. And so the idea of needing a church family to help uh, cultivate spiritual maturity through discipleship has been with the church from the be- very beginning in the book of Acts. Here, the apostle Peter is talking about craving that milk. That milk of the word of God to get, rid or, uh, to get rid of or grow out of evil. Fleshly behavior needs to go, amen? And so when you first give your life to Jesus, it's good and normal to, to want that milk, to crave that milk, to, to be able to partake of that milk. It's, it, it's called learning the scriptures for the first time. It's called allowing the Holy Spirit to do a work in your life. Initially, the word of God is that milk that we need. As babes in Christ. It's good. I know some people are lactose intolerant. And so you're like hearing me talk about milk and you're like, ugh. And some people, they act like the word of God is that lactose. Uh, I just can't, I just can't. Uh, that's a sermon right there. I just can't handle that milk. I need that. I need that 2%. Be careful about that 2%. Be careful. Some of you are living on the skim milk and God wants you to get into the hole. Because in the whole, something's going to happen in your life and in your heart, and it's going to be life-changing, and you're actually going to get out of the rut that you've been in. That's not in the notes, but that came out. (laughs) Sadly, some people are stuck in perpetual immaturity. They don't obey the word. They're not faithful in basic discipleship. Now, listen, I know that we're all, all about saying, Pastor, but we can't judge. We really can't judge people. In reality, we know that when we're talking about not judging someone, that's the unbeliever, right? We can't judge the unbeliever by believer standards. We can't expect the sinner to live like a saint, in other words. We can't expect them who are are not versed, who do not have Jesus in their hearts to live like those of us who have Jesus uh, in their hearts. And the the reality is we need that accountability. We need that discipleship. We need that accountability so that, you know what, If, if, if my brother sees me sinning or straying, man, if you love me, I appreciate a conversation. And that doesn't mean you have to do it openly to embarrass me or to shame me. But the best thing you could do is pull me aside and say, brother, I see this and, and I know that God's got something better for you. Or you see a sister in the Lord that is, you know, going this way or that way, pull them aside. Have that conversation. It's about maturity, it's about discipleship. And so judgment, it starts in the church. So many of us say, Well, don't judge me. This is where it starts. This is where we receive judgment. Absolutely, if, we're, if we stray away from the word of God, we should be called out in love. In love, I qualify that. And some of us are like a ton of bricks. It's like we, we talk to people, I think sometimes on social media, like uh, in a way that we would never talk to them face to face. And so be gentle, amen? Be gentle. And so, listen, I've got three kids They are now 22, 21, and 18. And how many of you know I I shouldn't be diapering them anymore? I shouldn't. I'm happy to announce that I don't. It would be really sad and creepy if I was still diapering them. If you have kids and they never grow up, that would be tragic. If they have stunted growth or stayed as as toddlers, but they're growing physically in stature, you'd be greatly worried, wouldn't you? 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through through 3, the Apostle Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual, mature people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you milk not solid food or meat because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready for you are controlled. Why? For you are controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you're still controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? Listen, we need a transformation and it needs to start in the church. We need a transformation, and it needs to be us allowing the Holy Spirit to get a hold of our hearts. And listen, it's not condemnation this morning. We need conviction back in our lives. We need conviction back in our walks. We need conviction in this thing that we call Christianity, because we're supposed to be living for Him. And if we're living for Him, we've got to let Him live through us. Listen, as a pastor, I'm concerned for followers of Christ who still struggle with the basics. Some people, if you've been here any amount of time, there's certain sub- 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 subjects that you're like, Pastor, why don't you preach on this? And why don't you, you know, it's like, uh, I, I, by the way, I never said I was taking requests, but, uh, you know, it comes my way. And so, well, you, you should preach on Revelation and you should preach on the seven secret this and that. And it's like, I would love to preach on uh, some of the hot topics and I would love to, to go a little deeper. And I, the Lord almost always redirects me and I'm saying, Lord, I feel like some things are just so elementary. How many times am I gonna, are you gonna obey or are you gonna disobey? He wins every time. And so I, I'll, I'll give an answer for the way I've led this ministry, for the, the things that I've preached and for the things that I haven't preached, but I wanna be obedient to the Lord. As a pastor, I'm concerned for followers of Christ who, man, you can tell me how many years you've been saved, 15, 20, 10, 15, whatever it is, and by your actions... Uh-oh, here he goes. He's going to judge me. By your actions, you are acting like babies in an area. You are acting like an immature brat in other areas. People are hurting you so easily that it's like, are you are you serious? You're letting those words, you're letting that comment get to you? You're so unsanctified. You, you want to cuss instead of worship? You want to tear somebody down? You want to get them back, get that revenge? How old are you? Well, I've been saved 15 years. It doesn't matter how long in in numerical years you've been saved. It doesn't matter. Not if your maturity doesn't match. As a pastor, as a church, we want to cultivate maturity. But guess what? If you're not here, we can't do it. If you're MIA, we can't do it. If you're resistant, we can't do it. If you've made up your mind that this is the way I am, God knows me. He, he wouldn't expect me to change. Boy, we, we need to grow up. We need to grow up. At Crosspoint, your spiritual growth is our mission. Uh, we like to say that we exist to lead people to the cross so that Jesus Christ becomes the what of their lives? The center. We do that through worship. We do that through fellowship. We do that through discipleship, and it can't be done if you're not here. At the core of that discipleship is the Word of God. Reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God, living the Word of God out in your life, covered with prayer. Uh, Brian leading the men's ministry in the Thirty-One Proverbs, a proverb day. Uh, Wendy leading the ladies in this uh, uh, conference that's coming up, and just kind of uh, leading in that way. That ladies, men, let's go, people, let's go deeper. God has so much more for us. At the core of discipleship is the Word of God and it will change your life if you let it. It starts for some of us by dusting it off. We've gotten used to the scriptures up there. It's the only time some of us see Scripture or on TV, turn on the radio, a song. It, 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 you've got to do the basics. You've got to do the basics, studying the word of God, reading the word of God. The Bible is the foundation of your discipleship. Number four, you need a church family to prepare you to contribute something back through ministry. Again, let me say that. You need a, a church family to prepare you to contribute something back through ministry. Say ministry. That You say that and people are like, that's for you, Pastor Freddie. Ministry is not for pastors only ministry is really something that everybody is called to do ministry just means listen ministry it just means using your gifts and abilities to help other people to learn to love God see God didn't put you on this earth to take up space and resources and just one day die he put you here on purpose and for a purpose how many of you know that even if you don't know what that purpose is, he put you here on purpose. And for a purpose, he created you to make a contribution with your life. You're to leave this place better than, than, than it was before you came, all because you've decided to serve through ministry. And anytime you use your talents, your gifts, and your abilities, your money, your time, your intelligence, your energy, your, your physical skill, your opportunities, anytime you use anything God has given you to help somebody else, In Jesus' name, it's called ministry. 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given each of you a gift, some special abilities. From his great variety of spiritual gifts, use them well to serve others. See, if you were uh, to take tennis lessons, they would tell you that you need to, to, to practice your serve. God wants you to practice your serve here on earth so that you're ready for eternity. Some people say, well, pastor, what are we gonna be doing in heaven? We're gonna be worshiping. We're gonna be loving on one another. We're gonna be ministering. The Bible talks about ministry taking place in heaven. We're gonna participate in that because God wants us to participate in that. And so we have that to look forward to. And again, this is our training ground. And that's part of the reason in the church we ask you to step up and serve. Step up and serve, contribute something back. Ministry's not just for me, ministry's for you too. And so we need a church family to center our worship around Christ, to connect believers in fellowship, to cultivate spiritual maturity through discipleship and to contribute something back through ministry. Worship team, come on back. I'm gonna close with a fifth point, shortening it up. You need a church family to help you communicate God's love through evangelism. Say evangelism a church family to help you communicate God's love through evangelism. This is another one where people get scared. They get scared. They're like, I'm not an evangelist. I don't speak well. I stutter. I don't know the scriptures well enough. Evangel- what, what, evangelism, what does it mean? It's the Greek word in the Bible, which means share, basically sharing the good news. That's all it means. And the good news is you're not an accident. The good news is you were made to last forever. The good news is God is giving you a purpose in your life. The good news is no matter what you've done, Jesus will forgive you because he paid for your sin on the cross. Yes, God has a purpose for your life. He has a plan and a place for you in heaven. He wants to forgive all of our sins. Say all, all of our sins, that's good news. Everybody needs good news. I was thinking about this. There's one thing that if you're blessed, if you've received Jesus and you get to go to heaven, there's one thing that you will not be able to do in heaven. People are like, what are you talking about, Pastor? Right? I thought we had full freedom. We could just fly around and we could, you know, whatever, whatever. All this stuff, it's like there's one thing that you won't be able to do in heaven. You won't be able to tell anyone about Jesus for salvation because we'll all have made it to our eternal destination already. We're all there, we're all saved, we're all, and yet there will be people who are in in an alternate existence, in an alternate destination. And so we have to take this opportunity to bring that good news to people. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 says, God has done it all. He sent Christ to make peace between himself and us, and he's given us the work of making peace between himself and others. You and I have that opportunity to share Jesus. Stand to your feet. To share Jesus—that's that's the opportunity we have. We can be a, a, a share communicate God's love through evangelism in that way. How do we do it, Pastor Freddie? In practical ways, maybe just start by bringing someone to church. If you've got an empty seat in your car, bring someone to church. Anybody can do that. Invite them. You're here today because some because of somebody else. Is anybody here because of you? Is anybody going to be in heaven because of you? You can be that one to tell your Christ story. You can be that one to be the difference maker. So here's a question for you this morning. Who do you know that does not know Jesus in a personal way? Begin praying for them. Begin praying for them. And I dare some of you to invite some people to church. Ask God to give you an opportunity to share your story. Share your story and watch Jesus change lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for your presence. Thank you so much for your word. I pray, God, that as we uh, are doing this church life, God, that we would not be caught up in the brokenness, that we would not be caught up in feeding into... Uh, negativity or things that would break our fellowship, but that Lord, we would yield our hearts and our lives to you, that we would make up our minds today. We're not gonna be offended and we're not gonna let offense keep us from gathering and we're not gonna let uh, the obstacles of the enemy keep me from receiving what God has for me. I'm gonna serve Jesus. I'm gonna share Jesus. I'm gonna let him work in my life so that I can shine for others. Lord, touch us, use us, be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's close.